Welcome to the First Church Message of the Week podcast. Thanks for listening in. Scripture is full of mysterious and strange things that have taken multiple generations to try to understand. How much harder was this for the disciples and other followers to understand? After all, they didn't have the gift of knowing how each story would end to influence their understanding. Yet, Jesus challenges what seems like perfectly reasonable reactions. What perfectly reasonable things are we doing, and have we perhaps always done, that we need to challenge or throw some unpredictability into? In this week's message of the week, Pastor Bryce Blank challenges us to experience the mystery of Jesus and share it, as unknown as it is, in the world around us. Here is the First Church Message of the Week. Will you please pray with me at this time? God, we ask that you would open our hearts and our minds and our ears and our thoughts to you. That we would be centered in this moment and hear what you have to say to us in the reading of scripture and the spoken word. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. So our scripture today comes from Matthew chapter 17, verses 1 through 9. And we'll read that on the screen now. Six days later, Jesus took Peter, James, and, his, and John, his brother, and brought them to the top of a very high mountain. He was transformed in front of them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as light. Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with Jesus. Peter reacted to all of this by saying to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you want, I'll make three shrines, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, look, a bright cloud overshadowed them. A voice from the cloud said, this is my son whom I dearly love. I am very pleased with him. Listen to me. Hearing this, the disciples fell on their faces, filled with awe. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, Don't tell anybody about the vision until the one, until a human one is raised from the dead. This is the word of our God spoken today. Praise be to God. So have you ever experienced something that you thought was weird or maybe different from what you were used to? Have you ever seen someone do something that made you question the way that you've done that particular thing? Well, when I was a youth director down in Dallas, Texas, and I was serving in ministry with those youth. We were uh, on a mission trip, but really all the time I was down there, they liked to just point out all the things that I said, the words or phrases or things that I did differently than they did. And so the obvious factor being my Northern accent uh, really brought out words that I said differently than them. Words like tour, they'd say tour, or beg or bag, or this one I still really don't understand, but they say ville, like a place called Greenville, they say Greenville, 
put a little you in there somewhere. Completely different from what I'm used to. And they also had other phrases, right? Like instead of, I would say, I'm going to put up, put that away. They'd say, put up instead of put away. Or they called a shopping cart a buggy. Or using caddy corner versus kitty corner. Just weird, you know, different phrases that are different from the way I would say them. And so these are things that I never really thought about. I didn't know that other people said them differently than I said them. I just assumed everybody said things the same way, used the same phrases. But when I was faced with that, it took me a second to kind of realize what they were saying or what the difference was. And I was shown something I didn't know before. Well, besides the differences in the way that we talked, another thing they pointed out to me on our mission trip was the way I ate a popsicle. So we had had a long day. We're in Oklahoma. It's really hot, middle of the summer, like 90 degrees. And we decided to take a break. And so we pull out these popsicles. And, you know, I'm just immediately open mind, scarfing it down because it's just, you know, very refreshing. And I'm about halfway through and they started laughing at me. And I said, well, why are you laughing? What's going on? They said, well, what are you doing? I said, I'm eating my popsicle like I always do. What are you doing? And they said, well, the way you're eating that popsicle is completely incorrect. And so these are the popsicles we had, the picture on the screen here. It's the long kind of rectangle with the crushed ice in there. And uh, it's this plastic that you have to kind of get through. And so the way that I eat it, it was kind of like you eat any candy bar. You know, you open it on one end and you just slowly peel on your way down, right? And so I'm peeling my way down the popsicle. Apparently, that's the wrong way to do it. So if that's the way you eat the popsicle, you don't have to raise your head. You don't have to say your name. Just know that what I'm about to tell you is the right way to do it. Just nonchalantly change, okay? <laughs> so the right way to do it, apparently, according to my youth, which I actually do now, I have to say, is you, you open the top end, and then you just you eat some, and then you push the ice up in the package and eat some more. This has some... Obvious advantages, one being that you don't end up like I did with a big sticky mess all over the place because you have a melting popsicle that you were peeling plastic with. So either way, they showed me how something that I thought was a perfectly reasonable way to act was not bad, but there was a better way to do so, a way that I hadn't even considered before. And so... I ended up changing, and like I said, I eat that a little bit differently moving forward. And in our scripture today, we see the perfectly reasonable actions of the disciples being questioned, much like my way of eating a popsicle was questioned. So our scripture today features what is a pretty well-known passage. We kind of read it almost every year at least, but it's also a very kind of hard to understand passage. It's known as Jesus' transformation, or another word is transfiguration. And readers of this text have not really been quite sure what to do with it. And if we look at what is involved in this text, the characters themselves don't really know what to do with what's going on either. Scholars, theologians, and Christians for Hundreds of years have debated on how to interpret or understand or even make sense of what happens in this story and why it is significant to Jesus and why it's significant to the disciples and the overall arc of the Bible story and what it means for the people of Israel and therefore the people of us today. 
Well, if you're like me and you don't regularly use the word transfiguration in your vocabulary, it might be helpful to look at a definition. And so on the screen in front of you is a definition from Merriam-Webster's online dictionary. And it says that transfiguration is a complete change of form or appearance into a more beautiful or spiritual state. So the transfiguration of Jesus. Jesus has had a complete change of appearance into a more beautiful or spiritual state. But what does that mean for Jesus? What kind of change are we talking about? Well, we look at the first two verses from our scripture in Matthew 17, and we read that six days later, which by the way, we don't really know what was six days before. We can kind of guess, but there's not really for sure. But six days later, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, and brought them to the top of a very high mountain. He was transformed in front of them. His face shone like the sun. His clothes became as white as light. So we see that the transfiguration that takes place is a very dramatic one, which kind of makes sense for Jesus because he seems to do everything very dramatically. And we read the scriptures about this transfiguration of Jesus. We can imagine the bright light all around. We can imagine his clothes turning white and radiating light. In a lot of ways, this is how I imagine that I will see Jesus when I enter heaven. Full of light, full of life, radiating. But what we notice here that is important distinction to make is that it's the appearance. It's the appearance of Jesus that changes, not Jesus himself. His appearance has changed. And so it's important because it helps to inform us what the gospel writer of Matthew is trying to convey in this account. The writer is trying to show us in the changing of what Jesus looks like, this serves to, this serves to show us, the readers, and the disciples, who Jesus really is. In other words, this interaction serves to reveal who Jesus is and who he has been all along, which is God's Son. So to further this revelation of who Jesus is, we look to verse 3, which reads that Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with Jesus. And the presence of Elijah and Moses confirm who Jesus is as Messiah and Son of God, while also tying him to the work of God and Israel's people. Moses is there representing the law, and Elijah represents all of the prophets. And so we read in the Old Testament about how Elijah and Moses have their separate accounts interacting with God on a mountaintop, but neither of them are called God's son. Their presence here points to Jesus as the culmination of God's salvific, providential care for Israel. In other words, they're showing us that God has not forgotten or abandoned God's people or the people of Israel and that those promises are being carried out over time through Moses and Elijah, and that they lead up to and point to the saving figure of Jesus. And the scene presents continuity then with Israel's past, while making it clear that nonetheless, there is something radically new occurring in Jesus. 
In this transfiguration event on the top of a mountain, a vision then is created of Jesus. Jesus is prophet and lawgiver. He's Messiah and Son of God who reveals God's glory and power. And this is quite the grand revelation, especially for the disciples in the story. So how do we respond to this mysterious event? How do the disciples respond to the mystery being revealed in Jesus that they are witnessing? How do we respond when we witness mystery or unknown? Well, oftentimes I think there are two responses that we have. The first is to either completely disregard what is seemingly confusing to us, just to ignore that it even exists, or even just to assume that we're missing something that puts the pieces together. We might say to ourselves when we don't understand, I must be dreaming, or there is something that I'm not seeing here, part of the bigger picture that helps me understand. So one aspect is to turn away and kind of ignore that which we don't understand. But the other is to lean into mystery, to dig deeper, to look at what we don't know in hopes of revealing what we can't see. We act on what we can observe, and we then make conclusions to understand. And this is the basic premise of really all of science, to observe the world around us and to make conclusions based on what we can observe and then move forward. So this is the same type of thinking that the disciples, when faced with the mystery on this mountaintop of what is happening to Jesus and why these prophets are here, that's how they react today. They try to take reasonable actions based on what they can observe and understand in front of them. So we look at the second part of our scripture, starting in verse 4, and we see the response of the disciples. We read that Peter reacted to all of this by saying to Jesus, Lord, it's good that we're here. If you want, I'll make three shrines, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And while he was still speaking, look, a bright cloud overshadowed them. A voice from the cloud said, This is my son whom I dearly love. I am very pleased with him. Listen to him. And hearing this, the disciples fell on their faces, filled with awe. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up and don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, Don't tell anybody about the vision until the human one, or son of God, as it's translated, is raised from the dead. Notice the actions of the disciples in that account. As I read this and I look at those actions, I can't help but be frustrated with Jesus. I mean, if I was a disciple of Jesus, I would probably already be constantly frustrated by the way that he talks in very obscure ways and the way that he always answers a question with a very helpful Another question. Very frustrating. But we look at what the disciples do, and I got to say, they respond better than I would. They respond in very reasonable ways based on what they are experiencing. The disciples do what they're kind of supposed to do, what makes sense for them in the moment. So when faced with both the prophets, both the prophet and the teacher Moses and Elijah, who are supposed to be dead, they say, okay, well, we'll build you an altar or a home, which shows that they're trying to recognize who they're in front of, have reverence for them, but also show welcoming 
and hospitality, which they have learned from Jesus. They're trying to be good disciples. And when they're faced with the amazing revelation of who Jesus really is as the Son of God, they want to go out and tell everyone about who Jesus really is. But again, Jesus tells them not to. When faced with this divine revelation of who Jesus is, Jesus tells them not to tell anyone because he knows that now is not the time. And that's extremely frustrating. We even read that while Peter is speaking, the narrative kind of moves away. And we feel for Peter because we see that he's trying to talk and make sense of the situation going on, but they have moved on from him and he's stuck. He's left there to try to figure out what is going on and how to respond. And this indicates for us as the readers that when we look at this event, we're not, event, we're not to take it literally as it's happening. When Jesus warns the disciples not to tell anyone about the vision that they had seen, he's telling them to focus on the overall, the bigger picture, not to get caught in those details. God speaks from the cloud, claiming Jesus as his son, which is a parallel to Jesus' baptism, when God speaks from the clouds and the Holy Spirit descends like a dove onto Jesus. And however amazing this God speaking from the cloud is, Jesus knows the time is not right to share this amazing identity reveal. And that's why he instructs the disciples to remain quiet to what vision they had witnessed. So then, what are we to make of this text today? When Jesus is transformed in front of the disciples and the identity of Christ is revealed, what are we to make of the disciples' perfectly reasonable responses being challenged or overlooked by Jesus? Again, taking cues from Jesus, we are then to stay focused on the bigger picture and remain open to the ways that God might surprise us in ways we don't expect. Because Jesus challenges all the disciples' perfectly reasonable reactions to what is going on. And similarly, if we were faced with that, we might act in ways that we think we're supposed to act. Oftentimes, we act in the ways we think we should act. But Jesus challenges us. Jesus challenges the status quo and the way that we think we should act in our world. So on the other side of that, Jesus challenges us to question the things that we think we are doing the right way. What things are we doing or have we been doing that maybe aren't going as well as we think they are because we think we're doing what we should do? Whatever conclusion you come up to, whatever answers to those questions you have, know that we are called to discern and to be open to the ways that God and Jesus chooses to reveal themselves to us in our world. Our response to this revelation might make us think we need to act, we need to change, we need to do, do, do. But what about if, what would it look like for us to think, to pause, to pray, and discern both individually and communally how to be a revealer of Jesus? We might find that to be an unexpected but maybe beautiful response. If I asked you to think about how you are being challenged by God, you might think of all the things that you need to change, 
that make you feel like you're not doing what you should do. That's what I think of when I think about being challenged by God. But what about those things that maybe need to remain the same? What are those unexpected things that might need to remain the same? Either way, we are again called to plan and to discern while always being open to the surprises that our faith might introduce us. So let us join in those unexpected ways that Christ shows himself to the world, like our story today. What does it look like for us to challenge our responses to the unknown, to the mystery of God? What does it look like for us to think about, pray for, and discern the ways that we here at First Church can reveal Christ in our world? The true, the glorious identity of Christ. It was revealed to those disciples. How can we reveal and respond to the glory of Jesus as our Savior in the world? I wish I could give you all the answers of how to do that, what it looks like. I wish I could tell you exactly what to do, both individually and as a community here at this church. How to respond to the ways that God challenges you and challenges us. But I can't do that. I can't tell you what to do. I would be lying if I told you I knew exactly what to do. And I respond with an answer of, I don't know, because of two reasons. One of which the disciples knew very well. That being a disciple of Jesus is often uncomfortable, it's hard, and it's frustrating. Being a disciple of Jesus often means that when we have questions, we're usually faced with more questions than answers. And so as we seek to try to understand the mystery of God, and therefore the mystery of Jesus, we have to just know that it's going to be a little hard. But the second reason I tell you that I don't really know the answer, I don't have any answers for you, is because discerning God's call for each of us, while done communally, is an individual task for us. We each need to put in the time and the work to grow closer to God, to discern God's will for us, and to take actions on what we may or may not need to change in our life. So I leave you then with the only thing I can, which is one simple task. In the uncertainty, in the mystery of our story today, and in the mystery of God, revealed to us, I challenge you to reveal that mystery, that love of Jesus to others. Like Jesus revealing himself to the disciples on the mountaintop, I challenge you to reveal Jesus to the world. Amen. Please pray with me. Mysterious God, who works in a multitude of ways, we often find ourselves to be like the disciples, uncertain of what is going on in the world around us and how to respond to the identity of Jesus as our Savior. While we might get caught up in the unknown, we might get frustrated with the mystery, we ask that you would show us the truth of who you are and where you are calling us. We ask that you would challenge us to look at our lives and the things that we have done for our whole lives that are reasonable things to do 
and see how can that be changed to better reveal Jesus to others. With that before us, help us to show God's love as a means of showing God to the world. Amen. Thanks for joining us for the First Church Message of the Week. To stay connected, subscribe to this podcast and follow us on Facebook. For more information like our church calendar, worship times, and upcoming events, visit our website at watertownfirst.church. This has been the First Church Message of the Week.